I say the word loser to you, what comes to mind? Many of you are probably thinking like the big L, like loser. Or maybe some of you are thinking of the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? Losers. Maybe some of you are thinking of that jerk of a guy that you dated when you were in high school because he was a total loser. Maybe some of you are thinking of the person who went to Vegas and bet it all on black and it came in red and that person was a loser. I I got news for you this morning. I hate losing. I am a competitive kind of person. If, if you don't know me, then if you get to know me, you'll know I'm competitive. If I'm having a game of soccer with my friends, then uh, because soccer is the greatest sport, much better than American football, right? Um, but if I'm having a game of soccer with my friends, then I want to win. Even if it's just a kick around, I want to win. If I'm having a round of golf, whoever I'm playing with, uh, even if I'm playing by myself, I want to win. I want to beat my best score. Uh, and if I'm having a game night with people and I've played game nights with some of you, I want to win. I don't care about coming second or third. I want to be the winner. I don't like losing. And so if I'm having a game night, I'm pretty competitive. And I'll give you a bunch of smack and I'll rub it in your face if I win and you lose because I like to win. But most of us are like that. We like to win. We don't like losing. We like the feeling of of how good it feels when we win. And we hate how terrible it feels when we lose. We like to win, right? What if I told you this morning that God wants you to become a loser? God wants you to become a loser. Because when you are a loser, you find out that God is more than enough. I'm not talking about loser, kind of, you're a loser, God wants you to be. I'm not talking about the guy who's, I don't know, 45 and never had a job in his life and lives in his mom's basement, never showers, wears sweatpants all day, eats Cheez-Its and just plays video games all day. I'm not talking about that kind of guy, that kind of loser. The loser I'm talking about is someone who understands that they have to lose their grip on their life and give it over to God because then they find Find out that God is more than enough for them. You know, Jesus said this. He says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. Jesus used this word. He says, I've come to give you an an abundant life, like an overflowing life. If life is so good, he said, but if you want that life, then you have to learn how to lose your own life, to die to yourself and live for Christ. This morning, we're going to take a look at a man whose name is Job, spelled J-O-B, not Job, but Job. And Job was a man who knew how to win. Job was a man who understood how to be successful in life. He was a man who was probably the most successful man of his generation. Some people say he was the richest man in the world when he lived here on planet Earth. Some people think that he was a man who actually even was responsible for building the pyramids. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard some theorists say it. But all we know is that Job was a wealthy, successful, very rich man. And we're going to take a look at Job's life this morning. There's actually a book in the Bible all about Job. It's actually called Job, original, right? 
And it's a long book. It's about 42 chapters long. And if you read it from start to finish, it can start off really good. Then it gets into a daze. And at the end, you're like, okay, I understand this all now. So it's, it can be kind of difficult to understand. But if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to the book of Job, and we're going to start at Job chapter 42. And this is right at the end of the book of Job. And there's been a whole lot of stuff that's gone on. But this is what it says in Job chapter 42. We're going to read verse 10. We'll skip verse 11 for time. And then we'll read verses 12 to 16. It says this. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. And verse 12, it says, So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep. Some of you got a lot of pets, but I bet you don't have that many pets. 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen. I don't know how many that is. I mean, how many is in a team? Like basketball team or football team? I don't know. And... A thousand female donkeys. I don't know what happened to the male donkeys, but only female donkeys. Then it says, he also gave Job seven more sons and three daughters. He named his first daughter, Jemimai, the second, Keziah, and the third, Karen Hapuk. I mean, what a name is that? Come on, people. What about like Elizabeth or like Mary? It says then, in verse 15, in all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. Basically, the Bible's saying they were super hot. And then it says, and their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man and he had lived a long, full life. Okay, this guy was super rich, really wealthy, very successful. If they had written books back then that the New York Times had, had, had ranked, he, and he had written a book on success, he would have been a New York Times bestseller. Everybody wanted to be like Job, and everybody wanted to be in the family of Job. He was successful. And the reason we know he was successful is because back in Job's time, you rated people's wealth on their livestock. So how many sheep, how many camels, how many oxen, how many donkeys he had. He had more than everybody else in his area. He was a wealthy, successful, rich man. But the reason that Job was such a great winner was because Job learned how to be a great loser. Most of you, well, many of you this morning, you've had children, you know, your, your parents, you've got maybe newborns or you've got some toddlers, maybe you've got some, uh, some people, in, uh, some kids in elementary, maybe teenagers, maybe you've got adult children. But I bet at one point in your parenting life, you will or have done taught your kids how to lose. 
we think it's cute when, when kids are young and, you know, we're playing games with them and they win all the time. We're like, oh, that's so cute. You know, they win. But as they get older, as parents, you understand that if you teach your kid how to win all the time, that kid becomes a little brat, right? Because you really, they have to learn how to lose because as parents, you want to teach your kids that they need to lose gracefully instead of being like me, I'll rub it in your face if I beat you at game night. You know, you want to be able to lose gracefully. So you teach your kids how to lose. And our Heavenly Father in heaven, He also wants to teach us also how to lose and how to lose gracefully. Because when we lose and we become good losers, eventually we become good winners. You see, we find very little about ourselves and we find out very little about our friends when we're winning. Because when life is good, everybody wants to be around us. When we've got momentum in life, when we're climbing the career ladder, when everything's going well, everybody wants to be around us. Life is good. We feel good about ourselves. But we learn very little about ourselves in those times. We learn very little about who our real friends are when everything is going well in our lives. And sometimes we have to go through seasons when we lose so that we understand who we really are and who our friends really are. So we're going to take a look at this guy, Job, and really what happened to him. Because Job, even though he was a wealthy, successful man, he lost a whole lot of stuff. And this is what happened. Job chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It says, there was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He wasn't Australian. It's Uz, U-Z, not O-Z. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. So at the very beginning of the book of Job, we see that Job was still a rich man. He was a successful man. And if you notice, when life is going great, it is easy to have faith in God. See, the Bible tells us that Job was fearless. He was blameless. He feared God. He he was a man of integrity. And when everything is going well for us in life, it is easy to have faith in God. It's easy to come to church on a Sunday morning. It's easy to volunteer in the kids area or be a greeter or be in the band. It's easy to to be part of a small group when everything is going well because we're like, God is blessing us and this is wonderful. But what happens when life suddenly turns sour and life turns bad and things happen? It's not so easy to have faith in God then. And I tell you, during your life of faith, the journey of faith, there will come a time in your life when God will stretch you. And he will stretch your faith so you can find out really how strong your faith really is. You know, the book of James tells us, he says that that counted a joy when troubles and hardships come into your life. 
Because when you go through trials and, and problems in your life, the book of James tells us that it builds endurance, and endurance is needed to perfect your faith. And so even though we like to think everything is great if we follow God, there will be times when God will stretch you so that he can build endurance in your life so you can start being perfected and see where you are on that journey of faith. Let's continue reading what happened to Job. So Job is this wealthy, successful guy. He's got everything. He's loving God. He's loving life. He's loving his kids. And nothing could be better. Then Job chapter 1, verse 6. And it says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. For those of you who know, Satan is the devil. And the Bible talks very clearly that there is a being who is an adversary to God. And because if you are a follower of God, he is an adversary of you as well. He is called the accuser. His name is Satan. And he isn't a good guy. Satan answered the Lord, it says. Because God says, where where have you come from? He says, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. The book of Peter tells us, he says, to watch out, be aware, be careful, because Satan, the devil, your accuser, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, people are watching you as you are living your life. God is watching you. Others are watching you. But there is this being called Satan who is watching you and he's waiting for you to slip up so that he can come and devour you. And this is what Satan was telling God. I've been going around the earth watching, seeing what's going on. Then verse 8, it says, Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, God said, you may test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. The Bible says, so Satan left the Lord's presence. So there's this encounter going on in heaven where Satan is saying, okay, yeah, Job is a good guy right now. Job is someone who is faithful to you, but that's only because you've blessed him. Job's only serving you because of what you give him. Take everything away from him and let's see where his faith really is. See, faith is easy when we are blessed. And so what happened is Satan comes and he starts to pick away at Job's wealth, at Job's business, at Job's fortunes, at his bank balance, at his house, and his kids. And in a short season of his life, Job lost everything. I'm not talking about he just like went to Vegas and he put the keys of his car on the table and he lost his car. I'm not talking that his house was just repossessed or, or, or that, you know, his retirement went down a few points. I'm talking about he lost everything. 
He lost all his livestock. He lost all his wealth. He lost his house. His kids died in a tornado. And the man was left with nothing. Absolutely nothing. He was a loser. He went from a winner to a loser very quickly. And I wonder if something like that happened to us. In one of those dark moments of life where we seem to lose, how would we react? I'm thinking if I'm Job, I'm like, okay, just kill me now. I'm thinking, that's it, it's over, just get it over and done with. I'm like, God, what do you think you're doing? Who are you? Do you really love me? Are you really there? That's what I'd be thinking. And so often in those times in life when we start to lose, we go through those dark moments in life where it seemed once we were blessed by God and now we're no longer blessed. It feels like at times we just want to turn to God and say, God, are you even there? Do you even care? You know, I've seen so many people. I've been in ministry now 17 years. And I've seen so many people who have come to church They've been so excited about God. They volunteer. They come to services. They even worship. They've got their hands in the air. You know, some people even do some funky dance or something like that. And, you know, they're so excited about God. They're reading their Bible. They're quoting scripture to you. And even if it's in context or out of context, they're still doing it. And then suddenly crisis comes. And it's like, where are they gone? What happened? And they fall away from God. You know why? Because so often we come to God because of what God can do for us instead of who God is. We come to God because of the blessings God gives us instead of who the person of Jesus Christ is. Why do you think that Jesus had 5,000 followers when he was turning uh, bread and and fish into multiple meals and he was healing people, but when he was on the cross... There was hardly anybody there. Because we come to God so often because of what we can get out of God instead of who God is. And this is what Satan was trying to test. Is Job one of those who comes to God and worships God because he's blessed of God? Or does he come to God because he has a real, authentic relationship with God? And so often, the defining moments in our lives are not always the greatest moments. They're not the moments we're walking on water. They're not the moments we're healing the sick. They're not the moments when we're wrestling with God until God blesses us, and then we get a bunch of blessings. Our defining moments aren't always the moments when we're climbing the career ladder, and we got influence, and we help people, and we save people, and we bring people from death unto life. They're not always the defining moments. Often the defining moments in our lives are the most devastating moments that come. They're the moments that crush us. They're the moments that cause pain. They're the moments when we feel broken. December 26, 2011 was that moment for me. We'd been doing Generation Church for about two years at that point. We'd been having services about a year and three months. 
And I got to the point where we, well, well, we had got to the point where we had a few families who were committed, who, 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 who were all in. But then we had a lot of other people who just came uh, occasionally, didn't come all the time. They weren't committed. Then we had some who were just in it for what they could get out of the church, not what they could put in. And I've noticed, you know, that I, I've noticed that in church, you really aren't helping the church unless you're helping in church. And so if you're just coming here on a Sunday morning and that's it, and you're just getting in what you can get out of the church, then you're not really helping the church. And we got to the point where we had a few different ones like that. And I talked to Raquel, my wife, and we were on the verge of quitting and closing the church down. It was too hard for us. December 26, 2011, the day after Christmas, I went into a dark room in my house And I knelt before God, and I cried like a baby. I cried in a way guys aren't supposed to cry, and I'll admit that to you. But I cried out because I was broken, I was devastated, I was shattered. I was overwhelmed, and this thing called Generation Church just was just too heavy for me. And in that moment, I'm on my knees crying before God, and I heard the small voice of God say to this, okay, Alex, you've tried and you failed. Now it's time to let go and just let me have a go at this thing. And in that moment, suddenly, the weight lifted. And I started to realize I had to lose this dream of Generation Church in order for God to do something beautiful with it. I came out of that room. Things didn't get great. We had a pretty bad February, actually. And, uh, and the things got, didn't get, like, perfect. But by the end of 2012, God had brought in other leaders, other people who were all in on this thing. By 2013, many of you were with us. And God opened incredible doors that we could come into here and, 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 and incredible miracles that he could finance this whole thing. It was amazing. And 2014 was a year of growth. And God did incredible things, brought more wonderful people. And then 2015, and we're just so excited if the weather would just cooperate about what God is going to do in 2015. But it all started with a moment of brokenness on the floor, crying before God, realizing I had to lose and let go. And it's how we react in a crisis that has the power to mold our future. So Job lost everything. And this is what Job said. Job chapter 1, verse 20. Job stood up, stood up, tore his robe in grief, I mean, you could just imagine, he's like, ah, you know, I mean, just tearing his, who does that, tear their robe in grief? I'm like, I'm not going to tear these jeans, a good pair of jeans, you know? I'm like, then he shaves his head and fell to the ground to worship. And this is what he said. I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken away. Praise the name of of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Can you imagine that you've lost everything? You're going through the most devastating moments in your life, and this is what you say, praise the name of the Lord. Praise God. He was worshiping God. 
See, the reason that Job had found success is because he honored God in all that he did. It wasn't just a head that honored God. It wasn't just a mouth that honored God. It was a heart that was completely changed by God. He wasn't in this thing because of what he could get out of God. He was in this thing because of who God was. And sometimes I think so often in church, we go through a hard time. And we've seen it in the five years of Generation Church. We've seen it. People go through a hard time and they turn back to God. Because that's what often we do. We're we're trained to do that. We turn back to God. And we're like, okay, I'm going to come to church a little bit more. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to be part of a small group. And then they come. And then maybe two weeks. And if you're lucky, maybe a month. Things haven't changed for them. Life is still tough. Life is still hard. Things are still going on. And this is what happens. Eventually, they turn back around and stop following God. Because they're turning back to God because of what they can get out of God, not who God is. And when life turns sour, when life turns dark, when devastating moments happen, do you turn towards God or do you turn away from God? Do you praise God or do you curse God? Job was a man who praised God. He didn't turn away from God. He turned towards God. But yet, do you know what happened? Life got worse for Job. Life got even harder for Job. In fact, Satan came back to God and says, okay, yeah, we we took everything away from him. Now he's still praising you. But if you just hurt him, you haven't hurt him. You've hurt his family. You've hurt his friends. But you haven't hurt him. Then he's going to curse you. So God says, okay, do as you worst with him. Just don't kill him. I'm like, thanks, God. That, that's nice, right? You know, just don't kill him. So Satan comes and gives him this um, and puts this disease on him. And now he's deathly sick and he's lying on his deathbed. And that would have been the last straw for most people. But it wasn't for Job. See, if you've ever experienced the power of love in a relationship, you'll know it's something to fight for. You'll know it's something worth hanging on to. For those of you who are married, you know that in that time in, that, in your marriage, however small or long that marriage has been, you know there comes a point in that marriage where that relationship is on the rocks and maybe you want to give up. You know that there will come a point you were like, well, do I even want to be in this thing anymore? Do we even feel the same about each other that we used to feel? And there will come a point where you will really, really, really want to just walk out the door and go, but... If you've experienced the real authentic power of love in that marriage, you will know it is worth fighting for. You'll know no matter how you feel, you want to fight for it. The same with your kids. As you see your kids, many of you, you've maybe seen your kids turn away from God. And you've wanted just to give up and say, that's enough. But you know that that love within you keeps you before God and wanting those kids to come back from God. Because those kids are worth fighting for. Those friends that you have, those broken friendships that you've had, you know that they are worth fighting for. Because in any relationship that you have, there will come a moment where you feel like you just want to cut ties 
and leave and get on with your life. I've discovered in my life, with my friends, even with close family, in my marriage, there's been times where I'm just like, I am done. But I've realized it's worth fighting for. And do you know what else I've discovered? It's exactly the same with our relationship with God. See, when a relationship is built on love and on trust, it will go through tough times. And your relationship with God will go through tough times. And there will be times in your life where you will want to give up on God. God will never give up on you, but because you're in this relationship, you will want to give up on God. Maybe you can't feel Him or hear Him or sense Him anymore. Maybe He blessed you once and now He's taken it all away and and you feel cursed in your life. But there will come a moment in your life where you feel like you want to give up on God. And I tell you today, it's okay to fight for those relationships. It's okay to fight for your marriage, fight for your kids, fight for your friends, and fight for your faith. See, being in a relationship doesn't mean that life always smells like roses, and that's the same with your relationship with God. And if anybody ever told you that, if you come to God, everything's going to be great and wonderful, I'm sorry, but they told you the wrong thing. Because it's not just being in relationship with God means now when you go through stuff, there is a God who loves you, and a God who wants to hug you, and a God who wants to embrace you, and a God who wants to take the weight off you and see it through and hold your hand and carry you as you go through through it. And Job was a man who fought past his emotions to stay in relationship with God. Look what, what he says here. Job chapter 13 and verse 15. He says this. I think this is amazing. He says, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I'm going to argue my case with him. Do you know what Job is saying? He says, my relationship with God is on the rocks right now. He says, I'm struggling in my faith, but I know that he is my only hope. And I'm going to come and we're going to talk this thing through. And let me just tell you, and this isn't in my notes, but any relationship that goes through a hard time, if you just ignore it and carry on, it's still going to be tough. You need to talk it through. In your marriage, you need to talk it through. With your kids, you need to talk it through. With your friends, with your employers or employees, you need to talk it through. And it's the same with God. There's times you have to just get before God and you have to talk through your issues together. And this is exactly what Job did. In Job chapter 19, Verses 25 to 27, he says this, But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Here is a man who has gone through hell and back, literally, and he is still looking to God because his relationship with God is not based on what he can get out of God. It's about who God is, and he's madly in love with God. And some of you this morning, you're in this place, and you're fighting for your faith right now. Maybe you came into this place today, and you thought, I'm just going to give church one more go. Maybe you're in a place, you're like, God, I'm just done with this whole thing. I'm done with just praying to you. I'm done with asking you. I'm done with trying. 
and your faith is on the rocks right now. I tell you, keep fighting. Keep fighting for your faith. Keep praying. Keep coming before God. Keep asking. Keep worshiping. Keep glorifying the one true God. Many of you, you've come from from backgrounds where you got hurt in church. And you don't want to help. You don't want to volunteer. You just want to come and sit down and soak in all you can because you don't want to get hurt anymore. And I tell you today, that is not the way that God wants. And he wants you to fight. Fight past those emotions. Fight past those hurts. Fight past all that is bringing you down. Because he wants you to hold on to him. Let go of yourself. Lose those emotions. And come back to God. Some of you have had disappointments. You've had hurts. You've had different things going on in your life. And God is saying, fight right now. Fight for your faith. Fight for your relationship with God. Some of you, you've got to fight for your marriage right now. You've got to fight for your kids. You've got to fight for your friends. Because it's all on the rocks. And this is what Job did. He fought. He hung on. Not to himself. But he hung on to God. And you know what? God showed up. God showed up. And when you let go of yourself and you hold on to God, what will happen eventually, he will turn your tears into joy. The Bible tells us that he's turned your mourning into dancing. Not mourning like AM, PM kind of thing. I mean mourning like crying, like grieving into dancing. He will turn your tears into joy and your loss into gain. And this is what happened. God turns around eventually and he starts to bless Job again. But this time Job is blessed twice as much as he was before. And when you understand that God is more than enough for you, you will understand that you have the ability to let go. Many of you, you've got dreams, you've got passions, you've got things going on in your life right now that you are attaining, trying to work towards. And God is saying, let go. Because I am more than enough. God is more than enough for you. You know, we serve a God who is mighty, who is more than able to do more exceedingly. The Bible says abundantly than what we can ask or think. And there is a God in heaven who is able to meet your need, to do exactly what you have been crying out to him to do. But all he wants you to do is let go. I'm going to ask the band to come back this morning. As the band come back, I'm going to read. Some scripture. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to hear. And this is exactly what Job, what God said to Job as Job went to God and argued his case. God turned around and said to Job this. He said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. He said, Job, who determined its dimensions? And stretched out the surveying line. What supports his foundations? And who laid its cornerstone at the mor- as the morning stars began to sing together and the angels shouted for joy? He said, Job, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it bursts from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. And I said to the sea, this far and no farther will you come. Your proud waves must stop. 
to Job, have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made the daylight spread to the ends of the earth? He said, Job, have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Do you know where the gates of hell are located? He said, Job, where does light come from? Where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? And then God says this to Job. Job, in a sarcastic way, he says, of course you know all this. Because you're God, right? He said, Job, for you were born before this was all created. He said, Job, you are very experienced. He said, Job, have you visited the storehouses of snow? And we've seen a whole lot of snow. Or have you seen the storehouses of hail? He says, where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home to the east wind? He says, does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to the dew? Who is the mother of the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? He says, can you direct the movements of the stars? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? He says, Job, who gives intuition to the heart? An instinct to the mind? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven as they pour out on the dry parched ground? Who gives food to the young lions in the lion's den? Who gives food to the ravens? Who gives food to the birds of the air? Who clothes the flowers in all of their glory? Was it you, Job? You may be arguing and complaining about I've taken away, but I am the God who is immensely incredible. I am the God who is almighty, who is here before the world began. I put the stars into space. I make them orbit around the sun. The planets orbit around the sun. He said, I told the sea, you can only come this far and you will not come any further. That is the God we serve. We serve a God who is mighty, incredible, indescribable. And He is a God who can take your needs. He is a God who can take your issues. He is a God who can take your problems. He is a God who can take your faith that's on the rocks and He can lift it up. And He can say, I am the God of the impossible, the God who can do incredible, immensely amazing things. And so this morning, no matter where you are in your life right now, no matter what's going on, no matter what storms you are facing, no matter what difficulties come, you may be blessed by God like Job was before in his early life and then in his later life where you may have been stripped of all that you have like Job was in the middle of his life. You may be praising God or you may be wanting to curse God this morning. No matter where you are, you can stand here this morning and you can say, it is well with my soul. 
It is well because I serve a God who is above any problem and any situation. I am a God who is above any marriage issue or issue with my kids. I am a God who is above every financial issue. And we can say this this morning. It is well with my marriage. It is well with my finances. It is well with my parenting. It is well with my future, my hopes for tomorrow. It is well with my career. And it is well with my faith because there is a God in heaven who has our lives in the palms of his hands and he will not let us go. And like Job say, though he slay me, the New Living Translation says, though he kill me, I will not reject him because where else do we go? Where else do we go? They said to Jesus, Peter says, well, where else do you have the words of eternal life? You are the one who controls this whole universe and you are the one who can take control of my life.